0: Hello again, and welcome back to Firing Film. To get everyone in the festive spirit, I've been joined by Gemma and Oliver to share our top 10 Christmas films. You know the disclaimer by now, our discussion was recorded over a video conferencing app, so I can only apologise for any distortion or difference in the usual audio quality. That being said, let's get into it. So, top 10 Christmas films. Usual rule: we're not going to spoil each other's lists or our own lists if something comes up earlier on. Before we get started, honourable mentions is the usual trick. So my first and only honourable mention is Gremlins, because I watched it for the first time yesterday, thinking I might really like this and this might end up in my list. And it was like, yeah, it's fun, it's fine, it's it's blackly comic, it reeks of that conversation that we keep having on these podcasts where if you watched it at a certain time, it means a lot more to you. For me, going to it now, 30-year-old, totally probably missed a boat on it. So that's why it's kind of just snuck in in my honorable mentions. Um, Ollie, have you got one or many?
1: I've got quite a few. Um, there's one that I'm going to leave because I think it's a hot take, and I can't wait to see the reactions when <laughs> when um, I reveal this is an honorable mention, not having actually made my fill uh, my list. Um, I've got Love Actually, um, which is you know I've, i actually saw something one of the young actresses who was in it who played emma thompson's daughter has come out and said oh i think it's a terrible film the women are kind of passive objects but for the time it was fun i just remember it being really fun you know a lot of in a lot of little nice interwoven stories really well acted um even the little cameo parts like rowan atkinson being the guy who puts the present together was quite fun um black christmas uh which I understand is one of the first like slasher films and it had Margot Kidder in it, of all people, pre-Superman. And it's one of the first like slasher films. And then after that, you got the likes of Halloween, Nightmare on Elm Street, Friday the 13th. Uh, Similar story with Krampus. Krampus is probably one that would make my list based on the premise, but I haven't seen it. So it's not fair to put it on there. I've got one more that I do kind of want to put a question to you guys. Is there a film that is definitely not a Christmas film, but puts you in a Christmassy mood. Because for me, that is Chicken Run. Because my girlfriend said it to me, and I couldn't help but agree with her. Like Whenever we watch Chicken Run, it just feels really Christmassy. And it is in no way a Christmas film. There's no mention of Christmas. It's not even a Christmassy aesthetic. But... It just feels like Christmas whenever we watch Chicken Run. I wanted to put that question to you guys. Is there any film like that where you're like, yeah, it's not a Christmas film, but it feels very Christmassy?
2: Yeah, Yeah. definitely. For me, I I sort of wanted to raise this question as to what is a Christmassy film? Is it just something that is happening at Christmas? Okay, so your uh, gremlins kind of um, thing. So it's a different story, but it's happening at Christmas. Is a Christmas film something that is nothing to do with Christmas but is very wintry and so therefore thinks of Christmas Frozen, for example? Or is it something, that's my fourth one is yours, Oliver. Is it just something that's always on at Christmas? So for me, my thing that feels Christmassy, like your chicken run, is Wizard of Oz. Now that's nothing to do with Christmas, but I don't think I've ever watched it any other time of year other than Christmas. I get that vibe. I really get that vibe.
1: Now that you, I've never seen it at Christmas, but now that you've said that, I'm like, yeah, that could come across as a Christmas film quite
2: easily. Yeah, always on at Christmas. Gone with the Wind. They don't put that on, on a random June Saturday, do they? That's always on, on Boxing Day, along with your Bond films and all of those. So I, I completely agree with you, you know, Oliver, that there are films that you think of Christmas but have nothing to do with Christmas. And Chicken Run definitely, yeah. Yeah, I think that's
1: why it's an honourable mention because I can't in good conscience put it on a Christmas list because it has nothing, there's no overt mention to it. It's not set during it, like I said, but it, it yeah... It just has that vibe. Have you got one, added?
0: Not like that, but I, like me and Holly had that conversation because I, for again, as we will know from the from the WhatsApp group that we're in, I keep thinking that Holly was supposed to be doing this one um, because she had the conversation of she has Great Escape as a Christmas film because she watches it every year and she watched it with her family and all that kind of stuff. And is it that we're looking at films that ask like Gemma's categories, I think nailed it perfectly. Is it something that's set at Christmas? Is it something that's about Christmas? Is it just something that you watch at Christmas? I think films that maybe for whatever reason make me think of Christmas, the first Harry Potter, definitely, And I think that might have been growing up and maybe we watched it a couple every now and again. Cool Runnings has gone into my head because I'm sure that's usually one that kind of flows around then. But just looking at my list, I've kind of just done myself a little key. I've got three that I would say are about Christmas, five that are set at Christmas and maybe don't necessarily have too fussed as to whether or not Christmas has done it. And my top two are a combination of both, that they're about Christmas and they're set at Christmas. Um. So yeah, I think that's where I'm sitting on that one. But I think, yeah, we'll leave that there for honorable mentions. I would say. So we're going to kick off with the with the top ten. Uh, I'm going to kick us off with my number ten, Ed's Lordby were as Gemma would you've say. You've asked
2: me for my honorable mentions I
0: thought you just did your honorable mentions. No,
2: no, I just talked about my categories. All <laughs> oh, right.
0: <okay. laughs> my honorable, honorable
2: mentions, mentions are Gremlins. Okay. Um, which I'm shocked that you haven't seen before. And, um, Santa Claus, the movie, which was a massive eighties film. Um, it was made before, I think either of you two were even born. Um, but it was a huge, huge film when we were kids and we, we, we absolutely loved it in our house. I have to say, I haven't seen it for probably over 30 years. Um, I haven't seen it again since, uh, since I was a child, I think it's massively been overtaken by other, uh, Christmas films. Um, but uh, it's in my honourable mentions. Is that the one with Dudley Moore as an elf?
1: Yeah, that's quite good, I like that
2: one. It was was about 1985. Um, The things I can remember about him is the elves wanting to, uh, about Dudley Moore, he wanted to deliver toys all over the world and some really amazing um, uh, shots of the sleigh going around New York City. Uh, I think the Twin Towers and things like that. Um, So those are my honourable mentions.
0: So getting into our top 10s then. So I'm going to kick us off with my number 10. And this would be, again, Gemma's Ed Lords beware. It's that pick. Um, I've gone die hard. Now, what I'm going to say is I'm I'm going to fully like let everybody in on this. There are tensions on this podcast because Ollie revealed yesterday that he thinks one of his honourable mentions and the one that he's not mentioned is going to be extremely high up on my list. And I already feel like I know what it is. And I I feel like I'm going to flip mine and Ollie's list by putting Die Hard as number 10. And I imagine it's going to be very, very high up on his list. So tensions flurring later on. Um, but again, I, I feel like I've fallen into the kind of majority of, yeah, Die Hard's a Christmas film. I mean, it's not something that I usually turn to at Christmas time. I, I will admit this is one of two films that I watched again last weekend because I don't feel like I've seen it enough. I don't feel like, again, with this conversation of, When was the first time you watched this? Do you really like it? Because you were however old. I watched this probably after, you know, I was an adult, 18 plus, definitely. Maybe even at university. And yeah, I think it's fine. I think it's a good film. I think it's a good action film. Nothing to it reminds me of Christmas at all, apart from the fact that it's set at Christmas. And to be honest, I think I just needed a number 10. So it's in there at number 10. Uh, (laughs) But yeah, I just, I know that everyone loves it and there's a big... um, contemporary kind of oh yeah Die Hard's Christmas film this is a film that you watch at Christmas I mentioned in the chat yesterday that I've got what I think is either either becoming or already is that new Die Hard of yes that's a Christmas film on my list at my number four so I'm going to come back to that in just a little bit so anyone want to kind of chip in on Die Hard or are you ready to move on to Gemma's number 10?
1: I
2: think I'm going to save it.
0: Oh well Gemma, uh, when you're ready then, you're number 10.
2: Okay then, my number 10 is The Snowman. Um, the Snowman was massive when I was a kid. Uh, I'm not sure what year it was released, but I'd say um, somewhere in the late 80s, let's say when I was about eight. Um, it was a film, that, it's actually only a short, so I don't know if it actually qualifies, um, but it is technically a short it, it's entirely animated and it was pretty much what put alid Jones on the, uh, the, the crest of um, the wave that he's been riding for the last 30 years in terms of his fame. So he was huge. That song was huge. But even the film was huge. It was one of those where, you know, when everyone's trying to get hold of it on VHS and nobody could. So if you managed to get hold of it on VHS when it came out, it was almost like getting the Holy Grail. It was huge. So, yeah, from a sentimental point of view, rather from a, you know, kind of quality of film point of view, I would definitely put The Snowman up there. Uh, But, yeah, from a a sentimental point of view, I'm going with The Snowman on that one.
0: Solid choice. Uh, It's 1982, that one. Um, And just to make sure everyone's aware, we're not talking about the awful Michael Fassbender film, The Snowman. We're talking about the animated snowman. Uh, Ollie, you're number 10, then.
1: Um... I think quite an uncontroversial choice, although I remember when I brought it up with my girlfriend, she mentioned I actually think of this as a Halloween film. So immediately you probably know what it's going to be. It's Nightmare Before Christmas. Uh, Came out in 1994, directed by Henry Selick, not Tim Burton, as we have previously discussed on this podcast. Um, Because I remember saying, when I first mentioned it, I remember saying that I actually thought, it was a bit overrated. I do stand by that because I I think it has gained this following of this is the best animated film ever. And it's not, I don't think it's even the best of that style. I think, you know, Coraline, I probably prefer or Kubo. I probably prefer, but as a Christmas film, uh, Nightmare Before Christmas is sensational. It's got, um, some fantastic designs from when Tim Burton's aesthetic was still really fresh. Uh, the songs by Danny Elfman are all fantastic. His singing voice is great. I just love, the. Mo- it's so Christmassy when he first comes across that kind of winter wonderland and you see that big smile appear on Jack's face and he just goes into, what's this? And it's um, something that's going to come up when I talk about musicals at some point, but it's, it's something that Howard Ashman said, if it's too big for you to say to get the emotion across, you need to sing it. And you, it just wouldn't have had the same impact if Jack had been, like, talking about how overwhelmed he was at how beautiful everything that he saw that was dead Christmas he was. The fact that he then sings it is just brilliant. And all well, the character designs are great. I think I've already said that. The music's fantastic. And it's funny and it's dark and it's typically Tim Burton. So, yeah, Nightmare Before Christmas is my number 10
0: good shout we may or may not come back to that in a little bit but i completely agree the kind of childlike wonder of what's this and you believe that it's a kid seeing christmas for the first time and going, what's, that? what's that what's that what's that what's that yeah no i think it's great i think danny Athman's singing voice as well is one of the most underrated singing voices because he did a song for a film called wanted that came out in 2008 called the little things and i think it's, it's a great he's got like a really kind of soulful but yet raspy rock voice and I think it works quite well especially
2: for that we're going to go back to Gemma for Gemma's number nine okay it's uh it's Tim Burton again but not um Nightmare Before Christmas it's Edward Scissorhands Um, so I guess Edward Scissorhands comes into the category of it's everything that happens at Christmas which is why it's a Christmas film Um, yeah Edward Scissorhands brilliant film remember going to see it Um, I love the very timber and nature of it and also the uh, the juxtaposition this perfectly manicured street with the coloured houses, all these lovely pastel colours and everything. It's so good visually to look at that. Um, The story raises some great questions about what it is to be human as well. I think that's a really, really interesting one. And then I think it also presents this really difficult um, idea of what we think of as being perfect, you know, like, let's bring him down, let's give him this better life. He then rejects and 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 prefers it actually how it was for him, going back up to the uh, back up to the house because life is just too complicated otherwise. Uh, I've always loved that film. The scene where he does the ice sculpture and it starts to look like it's snowing and Winona ride is putting her hand out to catch the snowflakes, um, yeah, fantastic, yeah.
0: Good shout. So my number nine is again there's another one of these where it's like it's not typically a Christmas film but it's set at Christmas. Um, from 2005, it's Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, which is a Blackley comic noir film. It's set at Christmas, there are a lot of different twists and turns. The multi-layered narrative comes into play quite a lot. And I wrote that it's quite possibly the last great Val Kilmer performance, because I think he's kind of, unfortunately, because of his health and things like that, kind of moved to a side a little bit. But it's got, um, so a private det- detective played by Val, Val Kilmer, a thief posing as a struggling actor, Robert Downey Jr., and an actual struggling actress in with Michelle Monaghan. And they basically get embroiled in this murder mystery to do with Robert Downey Jr.'s character and Michelle Monaghan's character. And then you get uh, Val Kilmer affectionately called Gay Perry um, in the most anti-stereotypical gay role I think I've ever seen in a film where he, he refers to himself as Gay Perry and he makes jokes about the fact that he is gay and then he will just beat the living daylights out of somebody, whoever tries to you know come, come over his path or anything like that. I think it's a really great film, and it's one that, again, I had to revisit a couple of weeks ago just to remind myself, you know, is this one that I would put on my list? And yeah, it would be. I think if you were going for an alternative Christmas movie night in, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang is a good one, especially if you're into your thrillers and your comedies as well. So that's a good one from me. Number eight from Oliver then, please.
1: I've not done my number nine.
0: Have you not? No, I've not. You know what? I'm sorry that I just skipped over you. I (laughs) I thought, I want to talk about Kiss, Kiss, Bang, Bang. I'll (laughs) tell you what we'll do. You do your nine and then go straight into your eight then. Okay. Uh,
1: My number nine, I really, really doubt um, either of you will have seen. And there's a good chance neither of you will have actually heard of it. If you have, I'm glad because it was one that really snuck up onto me. And it's Klaus from 2019. Directed by Sergio Pablos in his directorial debut. Um, It's a really, really weird story. So it's a traditionally animated film. It's got a really particular art style that I can't quite do justice to. It looks gorgeous. It looks kind of, it looks like it's been drawn, but it also looks like it's kind of cell shaded And it also looks like it might be that kind of Tim Burton stop motion because of the lighting. And the story follows. um, It's set in like a weird, fictitious 19th century setting. And the main character is the son of the head of the postal service. And he's like a layabout. He's a typical rich kid. He doesn't want to work. So in order to teach him, you know, some respect and some hard work ethic, he sends him to manage the post office that's in this town that's not far from the North Pole. And it's this town where there's these two warring families that hate each other. And there's this teacher who's ended up cutting up fish because none of the kids go to school. And he's got to get a certain number of letters sent within a year in order to, you know, be deemed a success and, you know, keep his inheritance. He doesn't want to be cut off by his dad. And in this same town is a guy called Klaus. And he's this giant woodsman with a big white beard and long uh, white hair. And he makes toys for children every now and then. And this guy sees an opportunity and he it ends up where he kind of manipulates the kids. And he starts off quite, you know, he starts off as quite a detestable character, but he becomes more likable as he befriends Klaus. He manipulates the kids into sending Klaus letters asking for toys. It's kind of an origin story for the myth of Father Christmas. And it goes into these details you wouldn't necessarily think of of why, you know, uh, Klaus... Uh, makes toys for the kids and and then the kids start going to the teacher because they want to learn how to read and write so that they can write the letters so that they can send them to Klaus and um, and then it becomes like you know the typical you know getting this number of letters isn't important to me. I don't want to leave I want to you know it's it could be quite a cliche, but I remember just we were watching it um, recently, uh, me and my girlfriend and it just took us by surprise how good this film was. Like it was just it was on Netflix. It might have even been like a Netflix original. I think it was distributed by them. And we just thought, should we put it on? And we watched it, and we were like, that was unbelievable. That had no right to be anywhere near as good as it was. If you haven't seen it, I really recommend you watch it because it's a it is a phenomenally heartwarming story. Um, what did I put as my number eight? So number eight is a more classic entry. Uh, There are. At least two versions of this film there might be three uh and it is miracle on 34th street and the one that i have chosen it is the 1994 version directed by les mayfield and it does come across as a little bit campy it does come across as a little bit shot for tv however richard attenborough as father christmas i do i really need to see anything more i it's a discussion I'm genuinely willing to have because I'm it's not like I'm gonna die on this hill I cannot think of a better actor to have portrayed father Christmas and I'm genuinely open to suggestions of people you think might be better because his his performance as Chris Kringle is so heartwarming and I, the scene I remember in particular is like he sat in the store and you know, he's doing the spiel of like dealing with it and there's the kids who are really excited. and there's the odd kid who's like not happy to see him. And he still puts a smile on the face. And there's one girl who's deaf. And the mom just says to him at the beginning, she can't hear what you're saying. She just wanted to meet you. and she, You know, she's just happy to sit on your lap. And Chris just starts speaking to her in American Sign Language. And it shouldn't be as heartwarming as it is, but it's just, it, it brings a tear to your right And then he has the chat with Mara Wilson, who's like the most cynical kid ever. And even Mara Wilson comes away from chatting with him with a big beaming smile on her face because Chris Kringle's made her happy. Um, so yeah, for that Attenborough performance alone, it's got to be Miracle on 34th Street, 94 for me. And number eight. I thought when I put my
0: list together and I looked at, you know, when you Google Christmas films and you think, right, how am I going to find the basis of my list? I thought... I've not seen that ever. But you describing that scene then where he does sign language to the girl has just vividly brought that scene back in my head. So I must have seen it at some point. And now in my head, I've got, he's in a courtroom with reindeer. And the he thing, is in a courtroom make, with
1: reindeer.
0: Yeah, he's saying, go on then, make them fine. he says, well, they can't because it's not the North Pole and it's not Christmas Eve. It's
1: not Christmas Eve, yeah. Yeah,
0: <laughs> so I must have seen that somewhere. But for whatever reason, it's not one that I think I, think I go back to. I think it's because when I was a kid, I found Mara Wilson really annoying. And I just <laughs> thought yeah. I'm not gonna go back <laughs> and watch it again. No. Nah. Um, you know, she gets a pass for Mrs. Doubtfire. But other than that, yeah. Um, okay, so my number eight, I, I know the kind of oh, do you watch it at Christmas, do you watch it at Halloween? It's Christmas. You know, it's nightmare before Christmas. It's that's the way that it is. Um I think this got a massive cult following. Um, around about the time it was released on, on video and Gemma mentioned something about the snowman where people were trying to find the VHS we had the same thing with this film, we had the same thing with Nightmare Before Christmas so my grandma Lynn went to America and came back and brought the VHS back with her And we then had this scour in the family. She just brought one copy and she just said yeah, I just thought the family could have it. Now we're talking both sides of the family, different aunties and uncles and all that kind of stuff. It's like, how are we going to share a video between us? There was then a fight of Whose video player in the house will play this VHS? Because whoever it is, they get to keep it. And it was the one in my sister's bedroom. So we got to keep it. And that was the only one that played it. And again, we went through it over and over and over again when we were kids. Just because it was like, what is this film? We didn't get it in, or at least I don't remember us getting it in a cinema over here. It didn't have much of a big release over here. And I think now, Jack Skellington's face is everywhere. Around about this time, you know post-Halloween, going into Christmas, all that kind of stuff. His face is absolutely everywhere in terms of the Disney store, anything that they do, any ornaments, all that kind of stuff. And again, it's the combination of fantastic music, feeling Christmassy, feeling like, you know, that childhood wonder of I'm really curious about Christmas and what everything is, and on top of it, the really short runtime. I'm sure it's only like 80 minutes long or something like that. This is just a perfect one to just stick on in an afternoon in between you doing whatever during the Christmas period and then get on about get on about your daily business. Um, I don't really have much more to say on that from that before Christmas. So that's my number eight. Gemma, what's your number eight? Uh,
2: My number eight is the only one, as I mentioned yesterday, that is questionable about whether or not it's a Christmas film. Um, So my number eight is In Bruges. Uh, so in Bruges basically obviously the question is is it a Christmas film and the only way that it qualifies as a Christmas film is because the last day of the uh, the story um, where obviously it gets to the kind of the climax of the story is on Christmas Eve uh, in Bruges he wrote it because he went to Bruges himself and you're supposed to love Bruges I've been to Bruges twice and I, I do love Bruges Um, so you're supposed to love it, you're supposed to, uh, you know, look at all the quaint buildings and just be completely enamoured by how uh, fairy tale it is, Uh, but he said that after about half an hour or an hour of walking around and seeing all the little gingerbread house kind of buildings, he got a little bit bored, Uh, but his girlfriend kept saying how wonderful it was there and why can't you appreciate it, so those are where the two characters come from in Bruges, so the older guy, which I think is called Ken, why he loves it so much and then the younger guy is he called ray i can't remember he might be called ray um and why he hates it so much and keeps saying it it's a a poo hole uh just to sanitize the uh the language there a little bit um so yeah that's the backstory of it I love the film um because I, I just I love the way that he hates it so much um I love Harry in it and just how uh how gangster how London gangster Harry is um but then I do also like the setting as well because as I said I do like Bruges we actually spent uh, a Christmas in Bruges about three years ago um Thankfully, it was a lot less eventful than uh, the story of In Bruges. You know, there was nobody falling from the bell tower, uh, spoiler alert. Um, but yeah, I think it's a cracking film. I just think it's great the way that he's, uh, Ray is kind of infatuated with uh, the little guy in the film, the guy with dwarfism in the film. Um, yeah, brilliant. Love it. I love every single bit of that film. It's such a great film. It's so
1: funny. Cause I I love him, I've I've not got it on air, but only by virtue of it didn't occur to me being a Chris by the qualification, I think it does make it. I'm gutted it's not a Melissa because it's it's just so laugh-out loud funny despite some of the stuff it deals with. Like it's really dark and horrible in places. But there's so many things like when he realizes there's blanks in the gun, and his solution to there being blanks in the gun because the other guy starts getting cocky. So Oh, Ice, yeah, it's just everything. You can't predict that film at all. It's so, it's brilliant. I loved In Bruges. I've not seen it in ages. I'm definitely gonna need to watch it now.
0: What on left field choice as well? I did not expect that at all. Uh, but no, it is a great film. You're right with it being uh, Ray and Ken. And I think Brendan Gleason is fantastic. Yeah. But then Ray finds his Harry.
1: The one line that I keep getting back from him. And I'll... I'm sorry I called you an inanimate object. That was uncalled for. <laughs>
2: Brilliant. brilliant the thing i always remember about it is the fact that um uh, ray keeps saying that it's effing Bruges, effing Bruges, effing Bruges. that's what he calls it i remember when we went there any time that something went mildly wrong just like i don't know you spilt a bit of your drink or something we just kept going ah oh, effing Bruges. <laughs> stubbed your toe ah oh, effing Bruges. we just used it for the entire time we were there
0: Colin Farrell does play annoyed tourist really, really well. <laughs> Just annoyed at any little thing. <laughs> uh, OK, into our number sevens. and I think more of a traditional Christmas pick from me is uh, the 2000 How the Grinch Stole Christmas. So the Jim Carrey Grinch film. And for me, I think this is a combination of really enjoying the Grinch as a character and then really enjoying Jim Carrey as an actor and the kind of mesh of the two. Um, it's it's one of the first I've referred to it as the first new Christmas film that I remember and I think it must have been because I was 10 when it came out and I think we'd grown up on other ones that are going to be coming up on my list later on and all of a sudden it was like oh this is this new Christmas film that's coming out and you know go and like you know things since then like Arthur Christmas and all that kind of stuff haven't really had the staying power with me um, there's another one in just on my number six that has the staying power a little bit but yeah, for me, this is Jim Carrey's eccentrism. and I don't—I really like it. I think it's just one of them where I will only come back to it at Christmas, though. I won't think about it any other time of the year or anything like that. And if it's just if someone said, oh, should we watch a Christmas film? This would be on the list of, yeah, maybe let's go back to that. And I think it's just me enjoying his comedy and enjoy in the same way, just because like we've been listening to it recently. If Robin Williams had done a film like this, this would have been on the list because it was Robin Williams in a Christmas film. I think this is just because it's Jim Curry, who was an actor who was big at the time when I was growing up. And, you know, I kind of followed him around the mask and lie, lie, dumb and dumber, all that kind of stuff. And it, this just fell into place for me nicely. Um, I've not seen the new one with the Benedict Cumberbatch voiced new one. But it's just, yeah, I really like the character of the Grinch. And for me, it was always Jim Carrey.
2: For every reason that you love it, it's for every reason I hate it. I'm so sorry to say this, I know. I really don't like Jim Carrey. He absolutely irritates the hell out of me. He, to me when he's in that kind of role, is like the human equivalent of nails down a blackboard. I cannot abide him. So for every reason that you love the Grinch, it's for every reason that I hate it, it's because it's so Jim Carrey. I mean, there are some Jim Carrey things I can get on board with. I don't mind Bruce, um, what's it called, Bruce Almighty. Yeah. I don't mind that because he tones the Jim Carrey down a little bit. But in that and the mask and the ones where he's so Jim Carrey... I, I can't I can't bear them. So sorry about that. And I'm sorry to put it out there that I don't like Jim Carrey.
0: Amy's exactly the same, though. So Amy is the same with Jim Carrey and Robin Williams. Although since Robin Williams died, she's kind of now when like he'll come on screen and he's doing all that kind of stuff. She'll kind of just go, OK, I appreciate that you like it. But if, if we're watching Jim Curry and like it, inside the Actors studio is the one that I come back to because Robin Williams couldn't sit down and sit still and he had to keep doing his voices. Jim Curry sprinted around the set and wouldn't just sit still and answer the questions from James Lipton. And Amy was just sat there watching it like, why is he doing this? Why, why can't you just sit down and just be normal and just answer? And like she can't abide him at all. So I totally get that. And I think it is your kind of, yeah, I suppose, your flavor of humor in that sense. Uh, okay Gemma if you want to give us your number seven
2: okay happy to Uh, I made a mistake on this it's not Christmas it's not a Christmas film at all and the only time I realized that was actually over the last few days when I've revisited it Um, but you know what I'm just gonna rock it out I'm just gonna do it because it's so close to something that we have as, uh, as Christmas it's a Thanksgiving film uh, but as we don't have Thanksgiving, uh, I'm I'm going to it's a festive film and there's lots of snow in it. Um, it's planes, trains and automobiles. I think you knew that I was going to say that when you're nodding your head there. Um, so, yeah, apologies for it not actually being a Christmas film. I really thought he was trying to get home for Christmas, uh, but it's not. It's Thanksgiving. Brilliant. Uh, Steve Martin's character is an absolute get isn't he when you watch it you just think wow how many how many rants are you going to have that are deeply personal that said I think if uh I was sat next to somebody who was taking their socks off on a plane and swinging them around in my face I'd probably uh have a fair few meltdowns as well so yeah I think that Steve Martin's character is that man that's just completely on the edge uh like some of us all are and he just he just lets it go because Um, John Candy brings it out in him. Uh, I like the heartwarming nature of it, the way they soften towards one another, Um, the fact that they constantly are in conflict and then will pair up. So they're kind of on each other's side and then they hate each other, these kind of things. But then the the way that it drops at the end and the um, revelation at the end that there is no wife uh, and he's actually just a really, really lonely man, uh, spoiler alert, uh, and the way that then Uh, I think his name's Neil. I think the guy's called Neil, uh, Steve Martin's character. He then goes back to go and get him and then takes him home. Um, It's very John Hughes, even when it comes to the kind of music that plays in the background. It's very John Hughes without the teenagers. Um, I think it's one of the ones where he moved from doing sort of teenager films into doing uh, films for a more uh, grown up audience. Uh, but I do love it. There's just uh, what uh, so many things that go wrong. It's almost slapstick, and you can see it coming a mile off, but then you, it's still enjoyable. Yeah, definitely love it.
0: Yeah, I mean, I must admit, this almost made my list, and then when I remembered that it was Thanksgiving, I thought, oh, no, I can't because it's not Christmas. But if I'm going off your ruling, Die Hard would have been knocked off my list and this would have made its way in there. Sorry, Ollie. Uh, But yeah, you're right with uh, Steve Martin's character being called Neil. And I've just gone on the Wikipedia page, right? I'm going to hold this up to the camera just so you guys can make sense of it. Someone's made a graphic of the map. I don't know if you can see that, right? But basically, it's got all the lines on it. And it's all co-accorded, like you'd get in geography or something like I that. I saw
2: that this week. I looked at it thought it was brilliant. It's all like the different colours of which bit was by train and which bit was by uh, by bus and all sorts. Yeah. yeah, I saw that this week when I was looking at it.
0: Yeah, this was another recent watch for me. I watched it just in time for me to chat with uh, James King about the films of John Hughes. And it was immediately one of them that went straight into my 80s top 10. And yeah, I love it. I think it's great. Absolutely uh ollie you're number seven then
1: um i don't want you accusing me of having copied you but it's how the grinch stole christmas by ron howard 2000 um this was a weird one for me because as a kid i loved this film i absolutely loved this film and then i went through my teenage years and that was the point where i think i sided more with It's like oh everyone's trying so hard it looks dead chintzy and it looks dead awful and everything i hate everything about this film And then I've gone back and watched it when I, you know, entering my 20s effectively and thinking, you know what? I actually kind of love this. I love that it, like everything looks really cheap. I love that you can tell so obviously this is a soundstage. I love that. The Who's themselves don't get the meaning of Christmas because that was one thing I did hate for a little bit. It was like the whole point is that it's the Grinch who doesn't get Christmas, and the Who's have understood it the whole time. The fact that they need the lesson as well just pads out the runtime a little bit. Um, I love Jim Carrey's performance in it, and it is so. And it like even the people who dislike him, and fine, I'm pulling faces when Gemma's saying she can't stand she can't stand him. Even though I'm pulling faces. He is Marmite. It is very reasonable to see why people will not enjoy Jim Carrey. But even Gemma could probably hold her hands up and admit the guy puts in the effort to his roles. He tries with every fiber of his being, especially when you hear the stories about how he effectively needed CIA training to endure the makeup that he wore in the Grinch. Because that was the makeup job that they did on him was absolutely outstanding. He looked You know, he looked like that was him and he had to be used to it. He shouldn't be itching his face because he wouldn't do that ordinarily. And he needed effectively torture training because it took about four hours to put on and he'd take however long filming it and he had to stay in it. You know, he couldn't, there was no zip to let him go to the toilet or anything like that. And it itched like crazy. And Little things like the little jokes that you miss when you're a kid, like when the babies are all coming down and one of the guys is going outside putting like a milk bottle out. It's like, hey, honey, our baby's here. He looks just like your boss. Like, <laughs> And then the Grinch lands in a tree and there's a party going on inside and there are people putting keys into a bowl. And <laughs> the Grinch sees everything that's happening and it's like, oh, that's why he's so messed up a period of thinking it's not good I, I think it's really cheap and awful and now that is exactly the thing i love about it the fact that it looks that everything looks like it's on a sound stage um the like everyone is trying even taylor Mompson, who's not very good in it but she's trying bless her and chris and christine Berens, uh, Berenski is uh, martha mayhew as just this epitome socialite who who like she has the best lights and and the housewife you know the uh, what's it Mary Lou's mom is really jealous of her and she's like this social well to do but she can't hide her attraction to the Grinch like it's just weird and beautiful and it's chaos and I love I love it I have incidentally I have seen the newer one the um is it the Cumberbatch one yeah the Cumberbatch yeah. one it's. It, it's very meh it's a problem mm. i remember i remember seeing someone who uh, online who kind of covered it really well in the original animated film the grinch has his own very particular look of animation and like his facial expressions are very unique to him and that's something that you should be doing in animation cumberbatch is fine he puts in a decent grinch vocal but as a film it is just a bit yeah. like why is pharrell doing the song because it's, it's trendy. Because that's why what the not? Kids want. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, but the but the Ron Howard one from two thousand. That's my number seven. Because that's a great film. Yeah,
0: the the thing that I always see Taylor Momsen on now is, can you believe that this girl in the in the Grinch is now a singer of a rock band? Yeah, yeah it's fine. Just yeah. like, get over it. Because she's, she's got... not very good at <laughs> that either. It's fine. <laughs> I, I like Heaven Knows and other things, but yeah, it's fine. Uh, <laughs> right, we're going to get into our number sixes. Uh, Gemma, you're going to kick us off with your number six
2: yeah number six is probably one that you two haven't got i'm only uh basing that on gender stereotypes here this is my chick flick um it's the holiday so i accept that the holiday is never going to be a film that's kind of critically acclaimed right and i'm never going to put that that uh, forward and say that it's a brilliant film but it is just a really really nice christmassy film um it, i mean it is really predictable isn't it but it's really enjoyable as well i think that Maybe the casting of Jack Black in it helps it to become less uh, so uh, just a a normal rom-com that kind of uh, slips away into history unnoticed. Jack-, Jack Black is slightly different to your normal person that you'd put in that kind of a film. Um, Cameron Diaz, I mean, what can you say about Cameron Diaz? She's just stunningly beautiful, isn't she? She's just, you could just watch her because she's just this, this beautiful woman. Um, so, yeah, I think The Holiday, for no other reason than I just find it really cosy, Christmassy, enjoyable, and... Um, a predictable storyline but just a solid chick flick uh, all the way through
1: for what it's worth this definitely should have been in my honorable mentions because I do kind of love it like it is every bit as schmaltzy as you have described and you have really you've really got to be in the mood for it um but that's I think that's a tradition at George's house I think her and her mom will watch that around Christmas and when I was there at a Christmas I watched it for the first time and it was like yeah, this is this is kind of fun. It's kind of funny, and Jack, it's got Jack Black, so that instantly that instantly improves it in my eyes. But yeah, I do kind of love the holiday. <laughs>
0: uh, Ollie, you're number six then.
1: Um, I'm going to go back to the eyebrows raised uh, selection of Christmas films. Uh, Batman Returns from 1992 uh, by Tim Burton. Uh, This was Michael Keaton's second crack at the whip as Batman and this film is a bit weird and it is easy to look at this film as not being good but I think because it's Batman I just enjoy it so much and I love that Tim Burton just tried to push it a bit more, he didn't treat this as a sequel for, he treated it as as a sequel for literally the same audience that would have enjoyed Batman 89. Because it was three years later, he made a 15, if that makes sense. Rather than saying, I'm going to go for the same kind of audience again, I'm going to assume that the people who loved it last time have grown up and will be old enough to watch a slightly more mature film. Because Danny DeVito as the Penguin is absolutely terrifying and monstrous. Because usually the Penguin is meant to be this kind of slightly deformed gentleman criminal, like like a James Moriarty. From uh, from Sherlock Holmes stories, but in this he is just a a monster who will hap- who talks about eating people, and he definitely bites people in this film. You've got Michelle Pfeiffer as Catwoman, Christopher Walken as a Batman villain doing his usual Christopher Walken odd speech patterns thing. Um, the Christmas motifs are just there. You've got Danny Elfman doing Christmassy music, and we're we're all used to that from Nightmare Before Christmas, and the idea of Gotham at Christmas as well—it just looks incredible with Tim Burton's set design and his um, in his vision, but having everything covered in snow and having the Christmas pageantry and the you know just penguins with rocket packs going around. Um, but yeah, you've got all the performances in it are absolutely fantastic. Michael Keaton is arguably the best live-action Batman. Um, arguably, there's a good. Dis- I-, I wasn't on the Batman podcast, so I couldn't have this discussion with you. But um, Michael Keaton just doing brilliantly as Batman once again. Like every single character in it is brilliantly cast. This is definitely one of those don't make you feel Christmassy, but it's it's it is a Christmas. Like it's overtly set during Christmas, and like there's a deadline of Christmas for you know Batman to get everything sorted. So. Yeah, Batman returns.
0: What I'm liking when we do these podcasts, not to spoil something, is when we have crossovers. It's happening. Um, we'll give it a couple more more uh, slots in our top tens, but it's happening. My number six is something that I am. I'm, I'm wondering if he's going to come up. Um, similar to Jim Curry, and I can see why people might not like this. Is Elf from 2003? And I can see why people might think that Will Ferrell's kind of child character of Buddy is a little bit annoying and maybe is a little bit too sugar induced for when you're just trying to calm down at Christmas. I can imagine, actually, there's a lot of parents, and this might well be me this year, who is just trying to sort the house out for Christmas Day while their child is watching elf and he's absolutely going off the wall and wants to eat spaghetti with m&ms in it and golden syrup. Um, yeah, I just for me it was one of those where it was like I don't even think I watched it in cinemas. I think it had come out on DVD and it was just like oh this is this film it's called elf you'll watch it around about christmas time. And then it ha- it's it's one of these were I've just dropped something. It's one of these where you it's, it's naturally just made its way into the kind of Christmas rotation, the hard rotation that gets put on TV that, you know, it'll be on ITV over Christmas and then ITV2 every single day throughout the rest of the period of time that we've got for Christmas. Um, and, you know, it's that combination of childlike wonder for Will Ferrell, I quite like James Khan's character in it, I think he's, he's quite solid and straight, and it's coming across as a kind of, imagine what, what would happen if you were in a situation of apparently this this kid has just come back to him, I think Bob Newhart as Buddy's dad as in his elf dad, is is really funny as well um, and quite a good performance for, is it Zoe Deschanel, or a sister, One of, yeah um, and it, you know she's quite good in it, and it, it's just it's got moments in it where you're like oh i wish that i could be in a toy shop that looked like that i wish i could eat lots of different things like that look at the size of the christmas tree let's go and do that oh he's going to go and save his brother with you know all these snowballs and things like there's lots of different things that make you feel christmasy and ultimately for me it's one of the the best christmas films that's why it's on my list so that's my number six and that's it for part one of this top 10 we'll be back on friday for part two and our picks from five to one in the meantime, you can help support Farringdon Film by following us on Twitter at Farringdon Film, by liking us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Film, leaving a five star review at your favourite podcast provider. Stay safe, look after each other, and I'll see you next time.